All right, good morning. Last week was great. I'm sorry that I missed it, um, but I want to say thank you to the prayer team that put that service together um, and, and gave God the opportunity to, to move the way he did. So I'm going to begin with a poll. This isn't a test, so I mean, there's not like right or wrong. It's a poll. Raise your hand if you think the word I say should be descriptive of a faithful Jesus follower. Patient. All right, that one's easy. We, we agree, all right. Gracious. Yeah, all right. Ignorant. You guys are getting this good, all right. Biblically informed. Yeah, I would agree, all right. Faithful. Inclusive. Ooh, hmm, now, okay. Tolerant. Okay, pretty good. Fundamentalist. Only a few. Ah, I got you. All right, good. Well, the, uh, the title of this sermon, The Pure Gospel, How to Be a Tolerant and Inclusive Fundamentalist. <laughs> right? Because let's think about those words. I, I mean, language matters and words change. Honestly, you know, if you've ever read a newspaper from the 20s, you're like, wow, they spoke weird back then. And we speak weird now. I mean, who knew the word woke until like a year ago, right? I mean, words change. Well, for one, the word tolerant, right? That word has, has changed. Tolerant used to mean you put up with differences, specifically ones that are kind of offensive, right? Like you tolerate your sister, um, you put up with her. You allow her to exist. Um, Lydia, tolerate your sister, right? Okay, right? Um, but, but tolerance, that has changed to mean not only do you put up, but you have to accept the other, whatever it is, as true, right? Here's a, a picture of, you probably see these, right? Coexist or tolerance. And they put this up there to mean all of these are also true. So you can be a Christian, but you can't tell um, anybody else, I'm mean, going to go down the list, Hindu, Buddha, you can't tell them they're wrong. They are right in what they believe, but you can, be, and so we can all get together. Well, that's not what tolerance actually means, or, or inclusive, right? The word inclusive means include, right? Right, bring in, and we should be, you all said we should be inclusive, and I, I agree, we should be inclusive, but is there a limit to what we include, right? Or that last one, fundamentalist, most of you did not raise your hand on that. Because why? That word has come to mean like an angry, legalistic person who tries to push extra biblical morality on others, right? And, and kind of excluding people. That's what the word has come to mean. But that's not what it was originally used for. Originally, there were believers who said, no, we are fundamentalists. We are going to stand on the truth of God's word. There are things that never change. Because the church, and you look at the church as a whole now, the church was moving. A lot of them were going, oh, we need to change to allow certain things in culture to, to be brought in. And so they were changing things. Uh, they were taking the gospel and saying, you know what, maybe, maybe this Bible's out of date, right? This is, it was good 2,000 years ago, but, but not anymore. We can adjust it. And the fundamentalists said, no, we can't. Sin is still sin. And Faith is still the way to salvation. You know, good. So we stand on these fundamentals of the faith, which distinguish us, biblical believers, from 
others that don't believe the truth. And so being a fundamentalist is, is good, but not in the way that it's come to be used. So I would agree with most of you. We probably shouldn't be called fundamentalists. But let's use these words the way they originally were intended and figure out how we can be inclusive and tolerant fundamentalists. So turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you remember in the context of Philippians, uh, Paul is writing to probably one of his favorite churches. He loves them. There's a theme of joy and rejoicing throughout all the book. Uh, he is speaking, again, this isn't a real evangelistic book. Um, he's not talking to those on the front. He's talking to believers, you know, those who have, have claimed to believe in Christ and follow him. And so it's kind of a, an internal conversation, honestly. And that's helpful to understand. So now he's going to teach them some things and tell them to watch out. So let's just read Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, give us insight into what you had Paul write here. Um, help us to understand the core truth and apply it accurately to our lives. We love you in your name, amen. So, 11 verses here, and there is one main point. I don't know if you saw it. We're going to figure it out. But let's look at the beginning, right? He says, rejoice, you know, instruction. Rejoice in the Lord. That's kind of a theme through. But then he jumps straight to, but watch out. Beware. I'm going to tell you the same thing. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. You're like, ah, we hear a lot of the same things. We kind of need to, honestly. And that's what he's saying. I told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again and tell you again, watch out. So how tolerant is Paul with this group that he's talking about? What's he call them? He calls them dogs. That's not very tolerant, right? He calls them evildoers. So a dog, uh, this is interesting because the, the, oh, nice. I hear an echo. Um, the, so the Jewish people often would call Gentiles dogs, referring to them as unbelievers. So the word dog would mean somebody who's not a believer from a Jewish perspective. And so Paul is, is kind of taking that word. But also the word dog, I mean, they didn't have, you know, like lap dogs, I think, like we do. Dogs were animals who, 
you know, go where they're not wanted, right? They intrude where they shouldn't be. So all of that is kind of included in these people who he's also calling evildoers, right? These aren't kind of good people, right? These are people doing evil things. Paul believes that those who attempt to bring heresy into the church are evil-doing unbelievers. This kind of sets up the theme for the rest of what he's going to say. Watch out for this group because they're going to come in, and he's already warned a lot of other churches, right, uh, in Galatians and other, he, he's referred to this group, they're called Judaizers. And they're coming in, the word heresy, is kind of, it's one of those words we don't use much anymore because that sounds bad. What is a, a heretic? Well, the word heresy, it, is, it refers to a belief or a teaching that is contrary to the gospel. And throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years, there were heresies that would come in and go, oh, you know, we accept most of it, but we're gonna change this part starting to change the fundamentals. For example, who Jesus is. Oh, he was not actually divine. Well, that's, that's heresy, because if Jesus was not God in flesh, he couldn't sacrifice for our sins, right? He couldn't pay that price. Or some said he wasn't actually human. He just, I mean, those are, those are examples of heresies. Well, this group is teaching heresy. These are called Judaizers. The Judaizers are Jewish people who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they're saying everybody else has to become Jewish. And so they, uh, again, if you remember, the church began with Jews, right? The Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were given the law. They were given the prophets. They had all these wonderful things. And Jesus was the culmination of the Jewish faith. He was their Messiah. So the beginning all the believers were Jews. Well, it started to spread out to where Gentiles were accepting Jesus as the Messiah, and most of us would be in the, the Gentile category. And they were bringing, and so there was a debate. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish faith was legit, but Jesus, so what do we do now? Do they have to become Jews? Well, they had a, a council. It's in the book of Acts where they brought this whole thing because Paul on his missionary journeys was seeing many people saved, Gentiles saved. And so they had this council. They got together in Jerusalem and said, what do we do with this? Do they have to become Jews? And the leaders got together and, of course, with, with the Holy Spirit guiding, said, no, they don't. And in Acts 15, they summed up their decision this way. They said, tell these Gentile believers, these Christians, to abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of how they summed it up. And, right? And then they sent Paul out. All right, go, go tell the Gentile believers this. Again, Gentiles and Jews were, were mixing in the church, and so most of these instructions were for Gentiles to not offend the Jewish people. Is it okay to, to eat a bloody steak? Yeah, but that would offend their Jewish brothers. So avoid those things that are going to offend them, except for sexual immorality here. And Scripture goes clear on sexual immorality. Abstain from that, because as Gentiles, most of them in a pagan world, and, and Philippi was one of those Roman cities, sexual immorality was just kind of part of life. I mean, they would go to these temples and engage with, with prostitutes. And so he, he highlighted that one. But basically, they said, you don't have to become Jewish. That was a big deal. Well, these Judaizers are coming in saying, yes, you do. And the sign of being a Jew is what? Circumcision. That was the sign God gave to Abraham for all of his descendants, that, that they would take part in the, the covenant promises, right, they would be included, was circumcision, typically on the eighth day. Well, so these guys are coming along saying, okay, you've accepted Jesus, good, now you have to become Jews and go get circumcised. Why, mostly just women were converted at first, right? 
So he, Paul here corrects that, though. So he says, watch out for these evildoers and dogs. These are not believers who are just a little off. They are coming in trying to lead people astray. So he's saying, watch out. And then verse 3, he says, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he says, we are the circumcision, not saying we need to go be circumcised, but we are God's people. That's what he's saying, that believers are God's people. And what is the sign? The sign was circumcision. What is it now? It's the giving of the Holy Spirit. And you see that throughout the New Testament in, in the book of Acts. Whenever these groups were, were saved, a whole household, the Spirit would descend. The giving of the Holy Spirit is the new sign of this new covenant we have with God. So the true people of God are those who trust solely in Jesus for salvation and have received the Holy Spirit. The word there, glory, uh, that, that uh, includes the idea of, of boasting, right? We boast and we glory in Christ. He's saying there's nothing we bring to it, right? So these, these Judaizers were saying, add works to your faith, right? Believe in Jesus, great, but now also do these things. That is heresy, trying to add anything to it. He says, we put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is all of this, including our mind, including our soul, apart from God. That's our flesh, where we are, we are weak, we are vulnerable, we, we can do nothing, right? We can bring nothing to the table. And so that's our next note. Our source of confidence is Jesus alone, not in anything we bring to the table. Nothing. Here's, here's the thing you need to get with this. Paul is adamant. Here and elsewhere, if you add any works to salvation, anything in addition to faith, what you're saying is that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. You have to bring something in. So it turns out to be a denial of the gospel. If it's faith and something, you're saying you don't actually believe the gospel. That's why he's so fired up about this. Watch out for these dogs and evildoers. Now, does that exist today? It does. It does. In fact, the official teaching of the Catholic Church adds a bunch of works to Jesus' sacrifice. Now, there are absolutely Catholic believers that you know, are, are saved and going to heaven, but the official teaching of the church is, is not biblical. It's off. And there's other groups, too, will, that will add in. Now, Paul is going to, again, this his main point, he's going to elaborate. If anybody could do it in the flesh, Paul's like, me, I could. And that, he goes through his list, right? Verse 4, though I myself have, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks, thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's going to go through kind of his pedigree, right? For the Jews, I mean, he is up there, right? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin, that was one of the 12 tribes. From that tribe, they got their first king, King Saul. And so, you know, try kind of check me out. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day, so my family is good, right? The genetics are good, and then he goes on. Um, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. So he went to Yale. You know what I mean? He, he, he has the pedigree. He got the education. He is the, a legalistic Jewish person. Now, a lot of these Pharisees ended up being great leaders in the early church. They, they converted and followed Christ. But they were, uh, well, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
Now, he's not saying he was sinless, but under the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, you could atone for sins through these sacrifices. So he did all of those things. He said, everything I've done, I mean, I, I, I matched the law, so I would be good. But it wasn't enough, right? And that's what he says next. That's not going to do it. Look at verse eight. Indeed, or verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is willing to give up everything to gain Christ, be found in Christ, and to know Christ, right? He was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he believed the Old Testament. He was following God. He was persecuting the church until Jesus met him on the road, right? You remember that story. He's going on his way to arrest Christians. Jesus appears to him, a blinding light, right? He, he's blinded for a while. He says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so Paul then is converted. And he talks here about his loss. So all these things that were on his, his gain side, right? Uh, his, his lineage, um, his circumcision, his education, all this stuff went from being a gain to being a loss. He says, this is, this is worth nothing anymore over here. And the only thing left on this side, I mean, it's kind of an accounting, is Christ. That's it. All that's left is Christ. So all those, he says, I count them as rubbish. Now, he also gave up all those things. So Paul, he was wealthy, right? He had prestige. He had all these things. He gave those up. Right? He, he became a missionary traveling, poor, beaten all the time, right? I mean, that was his whole thing. He'd go into a town, you know, preach to the Jews, then preach to the Gentiles, then get beaten up, then thrown out. You know, that was his MO. Um, at one point, he was, he was stoned to the point they thought he was dead, and, and many would think he actually was dead. They stoned him, drug him outside of the town, dropped him. The believers came around. He got up, brushed himself off, continued on. Now, eventually, he was killed in Rome for his faith, but he gave up everything for Christ. And he had to. He had to give up those old things. The things that he was holding on to were contrary to the gospel. He had to let them go. What about you? What, what about me? Are there anything? I want Jesus, but, or I want Jesus and. I'll do anything he asks except for, is there anything in that column for you? Because Paul here is saying he is worth everything. It cannot be Jesus and anything. Gaining a relationship with God where we are considered righteous is only possible by faith in Jesus. That's it. So if you're here and you, you've wondered, I need to be good, I need to go to church, I need to do all these things. No, you should. <laughs> I mean, God gives us those things, but you are made right with God by Jesus's sacrifice alone. That is it. When you stand before the throne, when you die and you get to heaven or Jesus returns, he says, why should I let you in? There's only one answer, Jesus. <laughs> not, I went to church, I tried to be good, not, nothing, right? Jesus, because I could do nothing and he died in my place. That's it, that's the answer. And what's the result though? So Paul says, I'm, I'm willing to give all this up so I'll you know, be persecuted, suffer and die. No, I'm willing to give all this up. Why? To know Christ. To be found in Christ, that was our, or no, and to know Christ. John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
do you realize you were created to know God? That's why he made us. From Genesis on, we were made to be in a knowing relationship with God. That word know is kind of deep. That's the word often used for, for marital relations, to know. We are made to know God. Our God isn't, you know, this God out there who needs people to obey him, right? He doesn't need anything from us. He made us because he wants to share himself with us. That is awesome. And we can know God right through his word, through the Holy Spirit. So Paul here says, it, it is worth giving up everything to have this experiential and intimate knowledge of God. Not just know about God, but know God. And now he's going to go on. Well, verse 9, I, th I think I gave you that note. Gaining a relationship with God where we are considered righteous is only possible by faith in Jesus. And through this, we get to know God. Now, Paul is going to share some other fundamentals here. right? He he's already shared that it's not about adding any works to it. And then he kind of flippantly, it seems like, gets kind of deep here. And he shares three fundamentals, fundamental aspects of salvation. Verse 9 is where he starts it. He says, I'll be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the word we're going to use there is justification, right? We're justified. We're made right with God through faith in Jesus alone. That's called justification. So remember at the beginning when I said, should we be ignorant? Um, and nobody raised your hand. So I agree, you're, you're right. We should be biblically literate. So we get into some of these things. It's like, ooh, these are hard words. Well, we should put the work into learning some of these hard words, right? So justification, made right with God by faith alone. And that is, that is the, at salvation, where God looks at you and says, forgiven, adopted, mine. And there's nothing we do except for bow the knee to Jesus, right? Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That is justification. Again, add nothing to it. But then the second part, verse 10, he says, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What is he talking about there? I know him, and I become united to him, right? What does he mean by the power of his resurrection? Jesus died on the cross. Easter's coming. We're going to celebrate him rising from the dead. We are united spiritually to Jesus' death and resurrection. What he's talking about here is the new life that he's given. The new life we have in Christ. It says that, that a heart of stone is taken away and a heart of flesh is put in. So the word now is sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his strength to be conformed into the image of Christ. This is where we work out our salvation. We've been talking about that in groups because earlier in Philippians, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. He's making it very clear here. You don't work for it but you then work it out. There's a life change. Things happen. And so that's what he's talking about here, this process, which, plug your ears if you don't like this, includes suffering. It includes suffering for him. Eventually, Paul would say, even death the way he died. But then the last one, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is what's coming. This is what's called glorification. It is the final state of the believer in a new body on a new heaven and earth with Jesus and the family of God. 
Now he says there, attain. That sounds like something you earn, doesn't it? Attain, how do I work to attain this? But he already said, it's by faith alone, but that he would attain, he would receive the resurrection from the dead. That has been the hope of the believer for 2,000 years, that someday when Christ returns, we will receive new bodies, the resurrection from the dead. That, and that's one of the heresies that has moved into the church in the last 2,000 years of, of igno- skipping over that part. Resurrection from the dead. No, the Bible's really clear. If, if we're here and Jesus returns, we don't die. We get new bodies like his. Awesome. If we die when he returns, we are risen from the dead, not zombies, but, a, a, but new bodies, right? New bodies, no sin, Oh, it's going to be awesome. That's called glorification. And that's what Paul's looking forward to. How, why is all this worth it? Because someday we get glorified bodies with Jesus, with one another. It's going to be awesome on a new heaven, new earth. That's glorification. Looking forward to that. So what's the main point of this passage? The main point is do not tolerate teaching in the church that changes or adds to the gospel. Stand on the fundamentals. Now, is the great threat to our church today adding works? I don't think so. It is a threat, and that was a great threat then. That threat has, has changed. I think we have different threats now, and I think if Paul were here writing to us, I think he would address some of these other threats in just as bold a way. The greater threat, I would say today, is not adding works, but removing things. It, it, it's taking away sin. Oh, let's not talk about sin anymore, because that offends people. Right? People don't feel good when you tell them they're not okay. Hey, you guys aren't okay. (laughs) We need Jesus, right? I'm going to boast in Christ because I'm not okay. Well, I don't like hearing that, right? Oh, so let's just throw that part out. Oh, sin, let's let's throw out any idea of sin, but then you throw that out, then you don't need redemption, right? And, And you don't need Jesus and what he did, but yet Jesus, before he went to the cross and he's praying, he says, Father, is there any other way? If there's another way, I'd rather not take the sins of the world on my shoulders. This is not going to be awesome. And the Father said, no. I I mean, this is the only way. And so Jesus went. If Jesus was willing to go to the cross, who were we to go? Oh, there's other ways too. Right? And and we do this somewhat unintentionally. Again, this this whole coexist, whatever. It's called relativism. And, And we say it sometimes, even. And now we're talking, well, I believe, you know, talking to somebody, well, I believe in Jesus, but, and we say it in a way that means, but you can believe something else and that's okay. If we believe that these other things can be true, it means we don't actually believe what the Bible says about the gospel, about the truth. Again, we must stand on the fundamentals of the faith because they do not change. They do not change. When we change scripture, and, and this is happening all over the place, um, in, in almost every denomination, changing scripture or saying it's, it's out of date or whatever, when we change scripture, we claim that it's either incorrect, well, now we have nothing to stand on, or God was wrong, oh my goodness, or God changes. None of those can be possible, meaning we have to stand on these fundamentals. But how can we be inclusive and tolerant? Because we all said we should be, and I I agree with that. Well, what what do we see here? He's saying, do not tolerate this false teaching in the church, but tolerate the heck out of people, (laughs) right? We're in the world for a reason. We are the light of the world. I mean, Christ is the light in and through us. And so how do we do this? There's there's an adjustment I think some of us might need to make about in the church and out of the church, 
right? Our expectations of fellow believers are different than our expectations of non-believers. Do you know that non-believers don't need to stop sinning? They need Jesus, <laughs> right? A lot of, we want them to stop doing this and conform to what, I mean, that's kind of the idea of the fundamentalist. Oh, you guys need to all behave. Well, no, they need Jesus and the Holy Spirit will help them, right? And, and do that work in them. But in the church, how do we do it? Well, I'm gonna flip real quick to 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13. And you can turn there or you can just listen. But 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is addressing the church and what to do within the church. And he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Isn't that those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, so what's he talking about? Within the church, there is a standard we need to hold each other to. Now, there's grace, there's patience in this, but if we are the light of the world, if people are supposed to look at us and see what God is like and get to know him, and we are just running rampant, we have nothing to offer. Also within the church, if there's false teaching being allowed to go that is contrary to the gospel, then everybody's gonna be confused. And so within the church, we, we guard, and, and that's the role of, of elders, pastors, right? They're, they're called shepherds. Part of that role is, is to guard, <laughs> is to be aware, to, to look out for these things, to these dangers. And that's what he's telling them. Beware, I'm warning you of these dangers. Watch out. I uh, watched a, what a, a bishop, I think he was a bishop, in the Anglican church, um, addressing the group who are trying to change what the Bible says about morality. It was awesome. I mean, this guy was, was laying into him, but he said this. He says, Jesus tolerated and included tax collectors and prostitutes, but it was they who went away changed, not Jesus. I thought that was a really insightful way to say it. We want to include people and then share the truth in grace and in love, right? Not, not beating them over the head with it, but Jesus changes us. The world doesn't change Jesus. So we should tolerate all people without tolerating false teaching in the church. Again, the church doesn't exclude sinners. If so, you'd all have to leave. And I'd be here alone. <laughs> no, right? You laugh because it's true, right? We tolerate sinners because we're, we're all sinners in need of our Savior, and he's going to work on us and change us. But the church must lead sinners away from sin, not affirm it and embrace it. I think that's the great threat to the church today is, is adjusting to culture in order that we can still exist or we can still, whatever it is. Now, listen, do you struggle with doubts? You're included, <laughs> right? Because I think that's another one of the, the fundamentalist part that we're like, ooh, if you doubt, then, then you're out, right? You, you can't, no, we're, we're allowed to doubt. We should doubt. That's why we're together. So we can ask questions. We should wrestle through. So if you doubt, you're included. Do you struggle with sin? You're included, right? Woman, man, any race, any, all this, you're included. But we're gonna go God's way. And we are going to include and, and tolerate non-believers who think different. And, and by that, tolerate, there are gonna be things in your friend, non-believing friends that are offensive. Well, guess what? 
They don't need to stop doing that. They need Jesus, and you're the one that's going to help show them Jesus, and then God can work on them. So let's apply this real quick. We're almost done here. Let's apply this two ways. A homosexual couple comes into the church. What do you do? Are they included? Are they tolerated? How do you handle that? Right? And there's, I mean, different churches will land on different things. Well, if you didn't know, Common Ground, the original Common Ground is in Arizona. They had a, a homosexual couple come, uh, two women married with kids, um, and they were included. They, they got involved in a group, and, and over time, they built these loving friendships. And, these, and in that, uh, the leadership and, and those were, were clear. We stand on biblical truth. We love you. Your lifestyle is not according to what God has planned, but we love you. They were saved. They gave their lives to Christ. They were baptized. And then the Holy Spirit worked in them to change their lifestyle. But they needed Jesus. They were included just as they were. Does that sound hard? <laughs> All right, here, here's another one. Somebody in the church is a universalist, meaning they believe everybody will eventually be saved. What do you do with that? I, I was part of a church where there was a, a, a lady who was a staunch universalist. In the end, all will be saved. That belief is contrary to scripture. That is heresy. If you believe all will be saved, you don't believe Jesus is the only way. You don't believe he died and rose from the dead and, and faith in him. What Paul teaches right here is the only way to salvation. What do you do with that? Well, she was very vocal about it. She was trying to convince others to believe her way. She was one of those that loved Facebook. Every Facebook post, 10 a day, all about defending all these and starting to gather. Well, what do you do with that? Well, we grab her and pull aside and say, hey, listen, here's what the Bible teaches about that. What do you think? Nope, I reject that. Okay, well, you can't teach in the church the things that you're, I mean, that's a hard one. But there's one where eventually you go, all right, the, we stand on scripture and we can't allow you to continue trying to lead people astray in this group. So either stop it or you need to go somewhere else. Ooh, that's hard, <laughs> right? But that's what he's talking about here. Do not, and that's what he's saying. Do not tolerate people coming into the church who are, Dogs, unbelievers trying to lead people astray. Do not tolerate that. This is hard. Well, I want to finish last point. Verses 8 through 10. Look at these real quick. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Final point. A faithful Jesus follower will willingly give up whatever is contrary to God and the gospel in order to know God. And so I want to finish with that. What is it in your life where you're like, I know God says, but what is that? God wants me to do this, but. How about we adopt Paul's attitude and go, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit. Whatever it is, maybe it's a, a, a belief, a thinking. Maybe there's something he wants you to do and you know it <laughs> and, and you just don't want to do it. What is that for you? Or if you're here and you're reading this and you go, you know what? I do believe and I've never told anybody. Or, or, or today's the first day to believe. I'm going to be back here in the corner. I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Maybe today is your day of salvation to say yes to Jesus and confess him as Lord. Let's worship. Lord Jesus Christ, um, I thank you for your word. Uh, 
and I feel like that's how I always pray, but, but I do. You, you give us so much clarity on what the truth is. God, there is no relativism on, on the deep truths, the fundamentals. You are the only way to salvation. You gave your life for us. We thank you. God, I do pray that you would fill us with grace, mercy, and love so that we can stand on the fundamentals, but yet we can be seen as very tolerant and very inclusive because that's who we are. We, we want you to spread your light, not just in us, but in the, the world around us. God, let your will be done. Let us see a, a great revival of people bowing the knee to you, being changed by you. Heal our marriages, he, right? Heal our, our children. Heal our sin, our, our, our addictions. God, we, we need you. We love you. In your name, amen.